0: Welcome to 7 Heads, 10 Horns with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens.
1: John Milton grew up in a six-story tenement called the White Bear on Bread Street in London. His father was a scrivener, which meant money lending and deed writing, but also a composer and a musician. A precocious student in his childhood, Milton excelled at Cambridge despite being possibly suspended or rusticated in 1626. The reasons are not entirely clear. He was known affectionately or bodily as the Lady of Christ's, which stood for Christ's college. After graduating with his MA in 1632, Milton began a period of intense study. His education had already equipped him for reading and composition in Latin, as well as reading knowledge of ancient Greek and Hebrew, so he consumed the breadth and depth of ancient literature. Upon graduation, Milton announced his intention to live and work as a poet. Originally, his plan had been to pursue a career in the church, but he was turned off by clerical corruption. As a young man, he was living in a time when pious Protestant critics were raging against Catholic holdovers in the Church of England in ritual and church governance. Following his mother's death, Milton traveled widely through Europe, especially in the South, for about a year, and he possibly met Galileo during this journey. He also got to observe the Republican system of governance in Florence and in Venice. Returning to England, Milton became involved in a debate about the Church of England's system of bishops. In this, he was influenced by his old tutor, Thomas Young, a supporter of Presbyterian church governance. Together with Young and other ministers, Milton published prose pamphlets attacking corrupt clergy. Around the same period, he was also writing and publishing in support of divorce in the midst of a difficult marriage to 17-year-old Mary Powell. She left Milton and returned to her family in Oxfordshire because they just didn't seem to get along very well, though the exact causes are a little nebulous. It didn't help that Mary's family was a firm supporter of Charles I, King of England, while Milton was becoming a supporter of Parliament. In spite of his public writing on divorce, Milton would eventually reconcile with Mary. Responding to the controversy his divorce pamphlets brought about, Milton wrote his most famous prose work, Aeropagitica, against pre-publication censorship. In 1648, Charles I, the King of England, was tried, convicted of treason, and executed by the Puritan-dominated Rump Parliament. Shortly thereafter, Milton wrote a defense of regicide entitled The Tenure of Kings and Magistrates. While not explicitly about Charles I, Milton asserts that in principle, rulers may be overthrown by their subjects when they rule unjustly. After his defense of regicide, Milton was recruited by Oliver Cromwell's government to act as translator and pamphleteer with the title Secretary for Foreign Languages. His big breakthrough internationally and domestically was his confutation of the humanist superstar Salmasius in the pro-populo Angelicano defenso. Ironically, he may also have been operating as a censor and licensor for the Republican government. In 1652, Milton's wife Mary died. He went blind and his son died. He was left to parent three daughters, Anne, Mary, and Deborah and this apparently did not go very well. Milton remarried in 1656, but his second wife, Catherine Woodcock, died just over a year later, sick after childbirth. By 1660, the restoration was in effect. Charles II was on the throne. Milton witnessed his friends and collaborators in the Republican government being tortured and executed. He went into hiding himself, while his books were publicly burned. In spite of all these dramatic setbacks, Milton entered a very rich period in his poetic career. And this is the time in his life when he composed Paradise Lost, among other works of poetry. He hosted visitors from abroad, continued to connect socially to other artists, and composed poetry with the aid of his daughters and students who would take dictation from the blind poet in a process referred to as milking. Milton re-emerged after a general pardon was issued, but was soon after arrested anyway, given his status in the Republican government. He was th- freed through the intervention of poet and Member of Parliament Andrew Marvell. He remarried again to Betty Minshull and lived to the year 1674 when he died of kidney failure. Milton's most influential piece of writing on the devil is his epic, poetic vision of the beginning of creation and the origin of sin and evil, Paradise Lost, first published in 1664. In it, he reworked and expanded on all the mythological and scriptural narratives of Western civilization to deliver a daring new perspective on Christian narrative. One striking example is the war in heaven between Satan's rebellious angels and those loyal to God. This is an event that's mentioned very obliquely in the scriptural narratives and is treated rather vaguely in uh, the patristic and medieval commentaries, but Milton goes out of his way to really elaborate and embellish this story. One-third of the angelic hosts rebel, led by Satan, in protest against the elevation of God's Son, the second person of the Trinity, over the rest of the celestial hierarchy in response god who seems to be very serious about fair play in milton's poem sends out an army of angels of equal size to those who depart the first day of battle ends poorly for the rebels satan their leader is humiliated by his erstwhile subordinate abdiel and later, the archangel Michael cuts Satan apart with a sword so keen that it hews off the entire right half of Satan's angelic body. Quote, Then Satan first knew pain. The grinding sword with discontinuous wound passed through him, but the ethereal substance closed, not long divisible, and from the gash, a stream of nectarious humor issued, issuing flowed, sanguine, such as celestial spirits may bleed. And all his armor stained erewhile so bright. Satan's comrades carried him writhing off the battlefield, and the battle turned against them. However, Satan is heroic, magnetic, and charismatic, and he manages to rally his troops. He bids them to survey the ground under their feet. In Milton's poem, heaven has its own kind of soil, appearing as a continent adorned with plant, fruit, flower, ambrosial, gems, and gold. But also under that soil, Milton writes, deep underground materials dark and crude, of spiritus and fiery spume, till touched with heaven's ray and tempered they shoot forth, which were waiting to be put to explosive use by the rebel army. According to Milton and his muse, it is Satan who invents cannon warfare in the first of all wars through the use of the sulfurous and nitrous foam or saltpetre that his minions rip out from beneath the surface of heaven's ethereous mold. As one commentator puts it, Satan's recourse to explosives show the real face of war, in Milton's perspective, which is not a heroic or virtuous struggle, but simply a contest of firepower. All through the night, Satan's underlings labor to construct their cannons. But in the end, it would not only be God who could throw thunderbolts. The next morning, the Holy Legions are amused at the strange-looking tubes seemingly made out of hollowed-out oak trees that greet them when they approach the rebels on the second day of battle. But pretty soon, they are blasted into a full-on retreat as all of heaven becomes consumed with flames and soot from the rebel cannons. The angelic legions, at first put to flight, turn on their tormentors tearing the mountains up by their deep roots like titanic turnips, the loyal angels returned to pound the rebels, crushing and bruising them against their own adamantine armor, imprisoning them under the mountains in anticipation of their interment in hell. Those rebels who remained at liberty imitate this very tactic, and soon enough it seemed that the tectonic plates of heaven could be pulled apart in this struggle. Later on, God the Father explains to his son that unless the son intervenes, the angelic war will go on eternally, with neither side able to strike the decisive blow. Only divinity, on a whole other order, itself can prevent heaven from being choked out by the smoke of cannons, its landscape fractured and inverted. So the father sends out the son to finish the job, with the latter assuming the father's terrible visage to strike fear and Into rebel hearts. He rides on a chariot powered by four cherubs who fly in place of wheels, each cherub four faced with wings studded with numerous eyes, each of these eyes shooting lightning and flames. And this echoes a description of the divine chariot from the book of Ezekiel. All the hills and mountains that have been torn out of the ground resume their place at the sun's word and his enemies scatter before him as he rides down upon them in the chariot, thundering after them, herding them towards a prodigious gap that opens up in the crystalline walls of heaven, which is big enough to chase the enemy host through and down into the abyss. The sight of this wasteful deep fills the rebels with terror, but it is preferable to the raging Son of God riding hard upon them. Bursting out into the void, The falling angels feel the heat of the sun's eternal wrath erupting behind them, volcanic, pushing them down farther and farther into the abyss. It takes them nine days to hit the floor of hell, to splash down in its lake of fire, confused, traumatized, and abject. And it is exactly in this moment of finding themselves in a fiery, flooded basement of hell that Milton's poem begins. Satan, the artist formerly known as Lucifer, a name now never be repeated in heaven, looks around, surveys the damage, recognizing the disaster that has befallen him and his comrades, as they now dwell in a dark and gloomy prison, a place of eternal torture and eternal despair. He seduced these comrades into rebellion with the hope of equality with God, with power and dignity in heaven. And now they are to be incarcerated in a place that ought not to admit of any more hope. But this is part of the complexity of Milton's epic. Satan does generate fresh hope and rouses his troops with a plan for revenge and escape. And in doing so, he appears heroic. That heroism begins in an epic form, but by the middle and end of Paradise Lost, it appears as something tragic and blind uh, so yeah um, I don't know if if we want to just sort of talk about really really quickly like what happens uh, this is you know, ooh, right, you know <laughs> a poem written in the seventeenth century by a uh, defeated republican revolutionary john milton um, and uh instead of writing his sort of last big epic about the English nation uh, which he intended um given his sort of political misfortunes, he turned to matters more uh empyrean or infernal i guess depending on on how you want to look at it um but yeah i mean the the weird thing about it is like everyone kind of knows the story that's sort of the difficulty of 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 milton's paradise lost i think where it's like well do you have some sort if you went to sunday school you're like well yeah well i guess i know what happened you know um but yeah uh is there was there any like of the plot points that sort of jumped out at you as being like you know interesting departures from the sort of the the kind of primered you know story of genesis that you would get
0: yeah i mean i think that's important in the broader context of the story we're trying to tell of who the devil is and where various aspects of the devil come from yeah um i would say though when you were talking about the problem of the, the givenness of the narrative from yeah. genesis I would say more than Genesis, right? It's the accretion of traditions on top of Genesis up to this point that he's dealing with, right? It's not that he's having to tell us that the serpent is inhabited, is is the devil in some sense or is inhabited by the devil. Like we or well past that point, right? Um, So there's more than the Genesis narrative going on here. And yet there are times where this feels like because we know the ending of the story from a narrative perspective, he has to create suspense and interest in other ways. Uh, One way of thinking about that is as a kind of psychodrama or a, that's in the form of a kind of commentary almost to the story that we already know. Um, Creating extra scenes and consultations among, especially, I love that you were mentioning um, the kind of conference, the diabolical conference in book two that's a really cool and interesting moment um of and it also brings up political questions for me around how do they make decisions right um and it's it's not totally straightforward right it seems like there's going to be a kind of group decision that's come to and that does happen but not in a republican fashion by any stretch right
1: right right yeah no it, it's it's pretty clear in the poem that it's the the sort of grandees and the the oligarchs of the fallen angelic horde that are the ones who are holding council in pandemonium. Um, And yeah, there's like, they're they're sort of the rest of the uh, plebeian militant fallen angels are waiting, you know, outside the palace for the decision to come down. Um, But, uh, and this is is actually sort of an interesting plot detail at the end uh, because Satan, after his triumph of seducing Adam and Eve, uh, Sneaks back into pandemonium, disguised as one of these you know sort of lower ranking demons and and kind of is able to sneak in and that's and that's his like sort of one of his many disguises and in, 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 the, in the epic um, but like I think uh, what you're saying about how there are layers and layers and layers of tradition atop of the scripture is is like useful for Milton because on the one hand the biblical sources are are sort of all over the place and evasive and not systematic at all about anything, let alone, you know, the uh, a description of of uh the fall of Satan and and everything. And so he has at once all of these traditions that he can kind of play with. Uh, and as as a as a Puritan, the the sacred scripture is so much more, you know, has so much more authority. So he can sort of work within the gaps of that while also inventing a lot and playing off of things that came before. Um, So he has a lot of options and a lot of room to create, even though, yeah, we know, you know, we know that, you know, that, uh, you know, everything doesn't go great in in the Garden of Eden, Um, but he can still inject a lot of, right, you're saying like psychological depth and just, you know, real interest in in the, the the tone and the mood and and the sort of personalities and all these
0: things. That brings up for me, like, why start where he starts? That's one of the things I wanna wanna think about. Um, Yeah, that's a really good question. Because Um, there's no overarching single narrative around the fall of Satan, which seems so central to this, right, keeps getting referred back to. as a thing already done. That's an interesting kind of narrative decision. And we start in a lake of fire. I mean, depending on exactly how you parse it, um, it seems that we start in the lake of fire with a bunch of floating fallen angels um, that look like corpses, you know. Um, But another sort of view of that same scene is compared to the Um, the Exodus narrative and the Red Sea and the, and Pharaoh's troops sort of floating on the surface of the waters there. Right. Right. It's compelling. It's interesting, but it strikes me that a heavenly war would have been really interesting too. Um, And the fall itself, which we later learn is nine days long. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what's going on there, but we start for whatever reason, where we start in that Lake of fire, um, with a kind of awakening, a kind of rebirth, right, of our um, anti-hero of our tra- or tragic hero.
1: Yeah, I think that's right, and I think one, you know, it, you know, it's there. Part of it is like the sort of epic traditions which Milton's, you know, well versed in, where you start in epic poetry and media res, like in the middle of things. That's right. Um, but I think you're right. It, it's more than that. It's more than just you know, sort of uh, adherence to those, those traditional, you know, millennia old tropes. It's also about the fact that it is a rebirth isn't who he was when he was in heaven anymore. And, and a lot of the sort of dialogue in the, in book one is this this recognition, misrecognition among the fallen angels were like, Oh, like Beelzebub, man, you look like shit, you know, (laughs) Um, is that you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, their glory is gone. Yeah,
1: you know, is that you?
0: Yeah. Um, oh, and the mis- misrecognition that point, did you, was it you who was talking about this? The point of misrecognition of Satan um, when the angels catch him in book four, sneaking around the garden and how they catch him, that's another, I mean, totally fascinating how he gets recognized moment. Um, but he is, aghast that they can't tell that it's him. There's something about his appearance, I mean, other than his disguise, there's something about his appearance that's unrecognizable. His glory is gone and he does unclear if he knows that or not, or to what extent he knows that.
1: Yeah. And I, you, you, yeah, I mean, there's this, and it's kind of associated with the, the way they keep talking about, there's like this gloom in hell, you know, it's dark and like a lot of it's about being absent from the light of heaven. And, um, one of the great things about going to Earth is that there's this sun, and it, it's reminiscent of the glories of heaven. And um, the, the decision to send Satan on this this epic errand is is uh, is because is a rejection of hell as a place. The decision not to make the best of it, as uh, Mammon, the demon Mammon, suggests that they should. We can we can start a little colony down here, and we can we can really you know just. Make the best of it and work really hard and turn this harsh earth into arable bounty or something. Um, and uh, Beelzebub and 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 Satan are like, nah, no, we're getting out of
0: here. <laughs> uh, the like makeover show. Basically, fails from the start. Mammon's pitch just falls on deaf ears. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I've heard that that's um, in certain ways people were people identified what Mammon says with kind of the the Puritan. Ethic of of Milton himself. It's the Protestant work ethic, you know. Oh. Um, and uh, everyone's like, "Nah, let, you know, let's <laughs> we got we got to get out of here." <laughs> and we were talking about this a little bit before, where it seems like this is one of the things that you could see as being really different from if you're reading like a, a, a syllabus of books about hell and the, and the devil, you know, in the medieval and early modern period. You'd go, probably go from Dante to to Milton, you know, jump a few hundred years. And you know in Dante, it's the place that's so important. Everything is is there's so much there's so much meaning, and you know the sort of symbolic justice is sort of built into these different places. Here, it's the the contrast is is pretty stark. Um, where there is like some poetic justice in the in in the place, but uh, the focus is on how hell is within the characters, not just some place
0: that they're trying to that they're stuck in or some place they're trying to get out of. Right, and it, at at certain points, if I'm remembering right, Milton plays with that. It seems like you can, if if hell moves with you, so can heaven, um, which gives rise to that. On the one hand, Mammon's idea of of reforming or of of sticking with the place that they've landed, but there's another point which is totally escaping me right now. Where they go for that idea of, or where there's a there's a perception of freedom that's possible uh, based on that idea that heaven that not only hell sort of travels with you and is internal to you and the struggle you have and the well and the faults that you have right the sins that you can't get away from your ambition and pride which will perpetually torture you but that also heaven is therefore perhaps possible but I don't think that's ever shown to be true I think that's the that's perhaps the illusion that one can here
1: And this is the big, I think this is one of the big things about the book is that, right, you're, I think you're totally right that that possibility is there. Milton is coming back to the idea of free will a lot in this book um, and trying to balance the scales of free will and providence. It seems then that it has to be possible for these demons to repent and they keep talking about it. You know, we have the beginning of book four, we have different parts. Uh, the The possibility of repentance and reconciliation is raised again and again. And then it's, it's like too painful or they talk themselves out of it. You know, like, no, it just it couldn't, we couldn't stick.
0: Well, um, right. That, and that's because they can't do a particular thing because there's, at least in Milton's universe, the only way forward for repentance is submission. Like, that's the answer. It's not just, oh, I did a wrong thing in the past. It's, it's recognition of the rulership of god which is just a bridge too far right, right. satan certainly cannot uh, stomach it seems affective here he can't stomach it it's it's not possible and that's that's based in the will but it's it certainly doesn't seem rational <laughs> whatever yeah. it, there's a
1: sense that the 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 fallen angels misunderstand they don't understand uh, submission, I think the part of the point in the book is that submission when done correctly isn 't about being humiliated they 've lost that point,
0: yeah, yeah it isn't
1: just about being humiliated it 's about the natural order of things in book five and six, the whole rebellion we 've been waiting for a story about this fight and and Raphael tells Adam and Eve about it in in books five and six and it all comes about through God commanding the heavenly legions to worship the sun his son as it's it's gets a little complicated because uh Milton's Trinitarian theology is uh, is not exactly orthodox and there is right. a common Arianism here um but still it's like the sun is the sun is like next to me the sun's the best and um you're supposed to be celebrating they're supposed to be celebrating this this you know that there is another dimension or operation of this the divine power that created and instills grace and power in all of them there is this inability to see that for a good and this temptation or or this 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 compulsion to to see it as a slight or see it as 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 an
0: insult satan also links that possible that impossible submission that he that he imagines to be necessary to his repentance and restoration in heaven to how his friends will feel about it how he will look in front of his demons yeah on the one hand so it seems about uh shame uh which is and humiliation which you've already pointed to but also a question of the things that he's promised them And the shades of meaning there are important, and perhaps a quote here would be great if I had one handy, (laughs) but it's vaunts, I believe is one of the words that he uses there, um, that are in part uh, prideful boasts about what will happen when they take over, when they win the war against God, but also um, perhaps about a kind of fidelity or loyalty to his troops, he can't abandon them. and disappoint them when he had pledged that he would lead them to victory and so this brings up the the question of how exactly does the admixture of you know it is Satan what kind of figure is Satan in the epic is he he is certainly not you know total evil all the time there's something more complicated going on right
1: yeah yeah and I in right and this is prompt like this problem like and in in the fight with gabriel in book 4 you know there's a, gabriel's like like what, what do you mean you're being loyal to your troops like you're being loyal to a bunch of scumbags like there <laughs> is no loyalty among these right and so that is called into question is that that's a that's a possibility that's 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 even possible and i think one way it's sometimes that i would see it is that satan sees his promises to his followers is not just in, mostly not in terms of what's good for them, but as a reflection of his own glory and the, and, and the anxiety about that, that falling short. Yeah. Um, of letting people down. And I think like, that's, that's part of the anxiety. Oh, he but in, at the end of book five, he, you know, part of the rationale and part of what he talks himself into and is trying to talk them into is this idea that they weren't necessarily created. That the angels, you know, that there's this late, the loyal angel, Abdil and Abdeel's like, you guys are just out of line, like you don't know your natural place. And Satan's like, well, how do we, how do, how do we even know we were ever created? We, we don't remember being created. And trying to uh, suggest that they are, they're the equals of God. And this, and this is in some ways goes back to the political stuff, the political Puritan revolution where Charles I gets his head cut off. It's this resistance to a kind of tyrannical hierarchy. And that's what Satan is, is rhetorically riding on, even as he imagines himself to be maybe not so equal with these other demonic followers, but with the God whom he's trying to usurp. Yeah, so I mean, I think one of the places where we see the sort of psychological complexity with Satan, <laughs> you know, sort of the depth of his character is uh, in a soliloquy in, in book four. Uh, and it's when he first gets onto earth, and he's just made this, this, you know, this epic journey, you know, it was an epic, you know, it was, it was a really sort of crazy trip through this realm of chaos. He's, he's finally landed and he's kind of just taking it all in. And he's, he's, he starts by sort of addressing the sun. And he says, O thou that with surpassing glory crowned, lookest from thy sole dominion like the God of this new world at whose sight all the stars hide their diminished heads To thee I call, but with no friendly voice, and add thy name of sun to tell thee how I hate thy beams that bring to my remembrance from what state I fell, how glorious once above thy sphere till pride and worse ambition threw me down, warring in heaven against heaven's matchless king. Ah, wherefore, he deserved no such return from me, whom he created what I was in that bright eminence, and with his good upbraided none, nor was his service hard. What could be less than to afford him praise, the easiest recompense, and pay him thanks? How do, yet all his good proved ill in me, and wrought with malice lifted up so high? I ordained subjection and thought one step higher would send me highest, and in a moment quit the debt immense of endless gratitude, so burdensome still paying, still to owe. Forgetful what from him I still received and understood not that a grateful mind by owing owes not, but still pays at once indebted and discharged. What burden then, oh, had his powerful destiny ordained, me some inferior angel, I had stood then happy. No unbounded hope had raised ambition. Yet why not some other power as great might have inspired and me though mean drawn to his part, but other powers as great fell not but stand unshaken from within or from without to all temptations armed. Hadst thou the same free will and power to stand? Thou hadst. Whom hast thou then, or what to accuse? But heaven's free love dealt equally to all. Be then his love accursed, since love or hate, to me alike it deals eternal woe. Nay, cursed be thou, since against thy his thy will chose freely what it now so justly rues. Me miserable, which way shall I fly, infinite wrath and infinite despair? Which way I fly is hell, myself am hell, and in the lowest deep, a lower deep still threatening to devour me opens wide, to which the hell I suffered seems a heaven. Oh, then at last relent! is there no place left for repentance, none for pardon left. None left but by submission, and that word disdain forbids me, and my dread of shame among the spirits beneath, whom I seduced with other promises and other vaunts, than to submit, boasting I could subdue the omnipotent. I, me, they little know how dearly I abide that boast so vain under what torments inwardly I groan while they adore me on the throne of hell. With diadem and scepter high advance, the lower still I fall only supreme in misery, such joy ambition finds. But say I could repent and could obtain, by act of grace, my former state, how soon would high recall high thoughts, how soon unsay what feigned submission swore ease would recant vows made in pain as violent and void, for never can true reconcilement grow where wounds of deadly hate have pierced so deep, which would but lead me to a worse relapse and heavier fall. So should I purchase dear short intermission bought with double smart. This knows my punisher, therefore as far from granting he as I from begging peace. All hope excluded thus behold instead mankind created and for him this world, so farewell hope and with hope farewell fear farewell remorse all good to me is lost evil be thou my good by thee at least divided empire with heaven's king i hold by thee and more than half perhaps will reign as man ere long and this new world shall know so a lot there um (laughs) (laughs) um but i one of the things that stood out to me as i was just reading through is how satan in like you know, I, would, I wouldn't say one breath, let's maybe say 10 breaths, uh, you know, recognizes that obedience and servitude in heaven, like was was fine, that he was wrong, that he was wrong to think it this this pathetic thing. And yet by the end of it, it's like, I, I can't go back to that. I can't, I can't submit. It's, a, you know, hatred yeah. has destroyed it.
0: Yeah, there's also a sense in which I think the temporality of sin is, portrayed as eternal like there's something and this I wonder about if this is an angelic thing or if this is shared if Milton would say this is true for humans as well that going back is not possible for Satan because he would always slip back right in some way or another there's no way that which wonder is his is his regret ever true right if it could be well, if he already always already knows that it would be unseated through the kind of life of ease, and he would say, "You know what would be great is if I were God."
1: Right? Yeah, and there's so like there's this self-level, high-level self-awareness, and you know, from my own understanding, from at least scholastic sources, there are a lot of arguments that the angels can't repent. The fallen angels can't repent
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, by by settling their superhuman wills so fully on on disobedience and rebellion. Mm-hmm like they, almost by power of their angelic, you know, being, their momentum is such, they're sort of consi- like always falling further and further. Um, another point that gets raised sometimes and especially I think in, in in Franciscan accounts of this is like, there's no intercessor for them. Humanity has an intercessor, the angels don't. Though even I think in, in Paradise Lost, there are parts where um, the idea of the second person of the Trinity or the Sun seems to be that kind of intercessor for the angels. Um, I, I forget exactly the place where it is, but, um, but yeah, I think you're right that there, he is, there is a tradition of the impossibility of, of angelic, fallen angelic repentance that mm-hmm. he seems to be playing with a little bit here um, and, sh- and showing us how it works, showing us how it is, it's, it's, it's the sort of dialectic of unforgivability
0: absolutely yeah that's certainly um on display here i'm looking back to so the sun is sort of our our segue to getting to talk about god and glory right that's why we begin there in this speech Yeah, Um, those beams right are are bringing you back to the beams in the glorious sphere.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's of course the thing we, we, we that's I think one of the most memorable parts about the poem is myself in hell. Like, look, like, like right. in the 70s, you know, like I I can't get away from this. You know, like the whole conceit, the whole point of the epic journey, and this is like maybe the point where we see why Satan's guise as epic hero falls apart because he can't get out of the he can't affect this kind of miraculous or heroic rescue of his comrades in hell, like hell isn't just a place. It's primarily not a place. It's at least as much this sort of change
0: in his psychology and persona. Right. The quest doesn't work because you can't change location because you are the location, right, of the stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like wherever you are,
0: it's still you. What about this idea of debt and gratitude and owing? I thought that was that this time around I thought that was interesting it's of endless gratitude so burdensome still paying still to owe want want forgetful from what from him I still received and understood not that a grateful mind by owing owes not but still pays at once indebted and discharged what burden then um how hard is it really to be grateful for what you've been given in this glory um and sit around and sing in the heavenly choir, right, your, your job duties, which he makes fun of Gabriel for. And Gabriel. Gabriel
1: makes fun of him for like, you were the most, you were the most servile.
0: Yes, you were the cringing one. You were more cringy than the cringiest of all of us. And, and here you are boasting of your battle prowess and how you're a man of action. Bull hockey, he seems to call on him. I love yeah,
1: him. no, yeah. And this idea of debt immense, you know, this linking between debt and grace, Yes. Um, this is like something that like, sort of like Neo, like late, you know, scholastic neo-Thomas or, or like Thomistic theology in the 16th century and 17th century picks up on this idea that like the essence of religion is, is infinite debt. That like, this is what it means. Like religion isn't just a virtue that yeah. human beings have to practice, but it's also the condition of being in, you know, eternal ever expanding debt. And, uh, this, this has a certain ring to it in the in the 21st century, I think, uh, with the way our economy works. Um, but, uh, you know, um, but, you know, this, you know, this great link between uh, between uh, markets, economies and, and religion. And you see it, this idea like, you know, you know, being
0: perpetually in debt is is constitutive of your existence. Um, yeah, but he what I think is fascinating is that he acknowledges that that forever debt, right? Uh, yeah. and at the same time, says, but like, calm down, folks. All you have to do is keep saying your things. How hard is what? What burden? There's no burden. Then the immense debt, yeah. immensely, is it, satisfied. Even though that's not <laughs> in any kind of um, normal sense of exchange, it doesn't really make sense. But right. that's how this particularly strange economy works. And so, why why can't can't I? And that's then we go. Launch into the exploration of his ambition is so fixed in him. Um, I think your your explanation of the angels as not being able to change course because of the kind of because of their essence, the way their turning works, doesn't work in the same way that human beings have are are more like I don't know little tiny sailboats, and angels are enormous. You know, the the Titanic that you can't turn around. You know, too fast. Yeah, it can't turn in the same way that we can. Um, and, and it's still interesting,
1: though, in the poem, you know, Milton. It's almost cruel. Like Milton shows, like after Satan leaves in Book Two, and the angels kind of have to, like, kill time. You know, the fallen angels have to kill time in hell, and yeah. um, and some of them are kind of just like joyriding around, and some of them are writing epic poetry, and some of them are like trying to philosophize about, it. like, how did we get here? Like, did we have free will? Was this all, pro- you know, was this all foreordained? Like, and. Um, Milton's like Milton seems to be like they're asking the right questions that hell is a place to wait and get lost in these conceptual mazes, but then he's like, but it's all just false philosophy, you know, so on the one hand, they can, they can even be like, yeah, like, you know, what were we thinking there. Um, and but Milton's like, but they'll never be able to figure
0: it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's kind of awful. Um, And you want to ask, like, well, why? Why is it false philosophizing? Like, what? what, Those seem like good questions. They're asking the questions that this poem is asking. Why must they fail? And 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 you, Milton, get you you Milton. You mean Milton has his uh, his Holy Spirit, you know, muse to guide him, where the the, the, the angels don't. Um, Though though some scholastics argue that the Holy Spirit was even operating in the demons. So you know, whatever. But. Wild, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Peter of never, never missed the chance for a really intense contradiction to explore. It's it's so interesting to see just how this pro- this problem of like this is an incredible debt that we all you know it's it, it's impossible to repay. It's infinite, and yet the service was light. You have that like dynamic to to actually keep in a good standing with our creditor. Like it's actually not hard to pay. You know to make the monthly payments. But like I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so it was, you know, it's you can imagine someone who's who's paying like student loans, you know, ha ha, right, for forever, and being like, yeah, I can I can make these payments, but like I just hate these fuckers.
0: <laughs> like I just I just I just can't do this anymore. It implies a subjection, a submission, if you will, yeah. that to that higher authority, an acknowledgement that you owe, um, which is too much for yeah for the debtor, whether it be the student loan debtor or or Satan and hell. yeah
1: yeah, so like well one of the things that we've been sort of kind of circling around is the theme of of submission and humiliation. And one of these places where um, we see Satan and his his uh, cronies humiliated is in in book 10, uh, when they received their punishment for seducing Adam and Eve. And it's one of these, these moments where you you see the the nightmare of submission. You see the the sort of the the, the horror of 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 what it means to have to cringe before the divine, um, and really puts divine justice into question in a certain way. So I thought maybe we could we could look at this passage
0: from from Book Ten when uh, Satan is waiting for his applause. So having said, a while he stood expecting their universal shout and high applause to fill his ear, when contrary, he hears on all sides from innumerable tongues a dismal universal hiss. The sound of public scorn, he wondered, but not long had leisure, wondering at himself now more, his visage drawn, he felt to sharp and spare, his arms clung to his ribs, his legs entwining each other, till supplanted down he fell a monstrous serpent on his belly prone. Reluctant but in vain, a greater power now ruled him, punished in the shape he sinned, according to his doom. He would have spoke, but hiss for hiss returned with forked tongue to forked tongue, for now we're all transformed alike, to serpents all as accessories to his bold riot. Dreadful was the din of hissing through the hall, thick swarming now with complicated monsters, head and tail, scorpion and asp, and Amphis Baina dire, Serastes horned, Hydrus and elops drear, and Dyspus, not so thick swarmed once the soil bedropped with blood of Gorgon, or the Isle of Fusa, but still greatest he the midst, now dragon grown, larger than whom the sun engendered in the Pythian Vale on slime, huge Python, and his power no less he seemed above the rest still to retain, they all him followed, issuing forth to the open field, were all yet left of that revolted rout, heaven fallen, in station stood or just array, sublime with expectation when to see in triumph issuing forth their glorious chief, they saw, but other sight instead, a crowd of ugly serpents, horror on them fell and horrid sympathy for what they saw. They felt themselves now changing, down their arms, down fell both spear and shield, down they as fast, and the dire hiss renewed, and the dire form catched by contagion, like in punishment as in their crime. Thus was the applause they meant, turned to exploding hiss, triumph to shame, cast on themselves from their own mouths. There stood a grove hard by sprung up, with this their change, his will who reigns above to aggravate their penance, laden with fruit, like that which grew in paradise, the bait of Eve used by the tempter on that prospect strange their earnest eyes they fixed, imagining for one forbidden tree a multitude now risen, to work them further woe or shame, yet parched with scalding thirst and hunger fierce, though to delude them sent could not abstain, but on they rode in heaps and up the trees climbing, set thicker than the snaky locks that curled Megara. Greedily they plucked the fruitage fair to sight, like that which grew near that bitum, bituminous, bituminous lake, which where Sodom flamed. This more delusive, not the touch but taste deceived. They fondly thinking to allay their appetite with gust instead of fruit, chewed bitter ashes, which the offended taste with spattering noise rejected. Oft they essayed hunger and thirst constraining, drugged as oft with hatefulest disrelish, writhe their jaws with soot and cinders filled, so oft they fell into the same illusion, not as man whom they triumphed once lapsed. Thus were they plagued and worn with famine, long and ceaseless hiss, till their lost shape permitted, they resumed, yearly enjoined, some say, to undergo this annual humbling, certain numbered days to dash their pride, and joy for man seduced, However, some tradition they dispersed among the heathen of their purchased god and fabled how the serpent, whom they called Ophion with Euronomy, the wide encroaching Eve perhaps, had first the rule of high Olympus, thence by Saturn driven and ops, ere yet Dictian Jove was born. Meanwhile in paradise, the hellish pair too soon arrived, sin there in power before, once actual, now in body, and to dwell habitual habitant, behind her death, following pace for pace not mounted yet on his pale horse to whom sin thus began
1: and so i mean i think we all the themes that we've sort of been talking about this whole time are, are really apparent where um there's like the bitter irony of of, of trying to avoid humiliation and submission at all cost and it just being thrust upon all these demons once a year at least, and at the moment of judgment, at the moment of the fall of Adam and Eve. Obviously quite a creative departure from from any of the traditions that I'm familiar with, with any of this stuff. And uh, um, I don't know, I was just wondering what stood out to you as, as you were reading it.
0: Yeah, for me, um, well, first of all, reading it is really hard. <laughs> so thanks for bearing with my pronunciations here. One of the, this is our, I think our most Dantean moment we've we've discussed so far, right? Oh, yeah. The way that the and it's even sort of there's an interior commentary about that points out in case you missed it that the fruit is is the instrument of the of their punish is one of the instruments of their punishment. That's the scene from the garden where they where um, where they 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 tempted where they, one of, where their sin comes from through their chief Satan yeah. and and of course the form of the serpent also being the one that he took on um, that kind of punishment meets the crime, contrapasso feeling uh, moment is here and feels, I think, in a sense fitting and therefore satisfying a kind of um, basic um, animal instinct kind of justice, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also, we were speaking before about the the horror of what happens in the scene. Do you wanna talk a little bit about where you see maybe like where you locate the horror in the scene and what it does, that might be helpful.
1: Well, I think it's really, it's, it's, um, it's the dramatic reversal where you expect applause, you expect acclaim and then you get hissing, which is connected with booing. These troops are all expecting their glorious leaders to come forth and triumph. And you get like this rolling wave of snakes. They talk, you know, they talk about how huge and, um, there's this amazing set of verses in book one about Satan's spear and his shield and they're trying to figure out how big Satan is by his spear and now he's like this like, you know, he's like this monstrous snake but you don't have this erect statue you have this like sort of this, uh, this sort of swarming lowliness um, and so uh, I, I mean I'm not even someone who's like really like freaked out by snakes. But like, you know, the sort of sort of like tidal wave of, of beings freshly transformed into snakes is just so grotesque. And especially when they're sort of climbing atop each other to get this fruit on this tree, it's like so, it's so pathetic and gross and scary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And then um to return to our theme of of submission, right? Um, what's going on in this? In this passage that has to do with submission. It seems like the, the thing that Satan couldn't bring himself to do, to what when he, he saw giving thanks to God, being in the heavenly choir, um, and singing God's praises and bowing and scraping, um, as, as just impossible, as as beneath his dignity um and his stubborn ambition to take God's place, right? Here. That happens anyway, right he <laughs> is he is humbled in a literal sense, that towering figure, okay, sure, he was lying down to start, but he does get to stand up, you know <laughs> um that towering figure um darkened though he is by his fall and by his distance from the heavenly glory here we we have his his just recompense, right? His, his lowering. And so I think that's meant to be a reflection, a, a forced submission here. We're supposed to read that as a forced submission to God, um, yeah. as a reminder that though he has achieved a small victory in succeeding at tempting humanity and bringing them down, um, he hasn't won the final victory. And this is something of a reminder of, um, lest they celebrate too much now, their small vict- back, uh, victory in this battle—it's um, as it's a reminder not to do so because of what's coming. Also, I think it's an anticipation of um, the, their final defeat at the end of at the end of time. Right, right,
1: right. So yeah, so it's not only just about paying back what they did, but it's also about a foreshadowing of what's going to come too. And I think that's right. It also deals with the themes of ambition. Of course, we see how humiliating it is, and your point is a forced submission. And it, it, it the message is like you, you're humbled whether you obey or you don't. It's just, it's about like, how do you want to do this? Do, do you want to be singing in a choir or do you want to
0: be writhing ground on a on in the dark, you know, as a snake? <laughs> you know? I think this, though, because I mean, that's brilliantly put, and I think presents us again with that stubborn problem of is freedom really free here? If in the end, you're going to be writhing on the, ground you're going to be either bowing and scraping or writhing on the ground, is that really a choice?
1: Um, right, right, yeah, and like, and, and of course, the, the, the big question too with that is like, well, who's the villain here, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, that's That's something that we're going to keep coming back to because so much of this theology and culture around this is sort of breaking your head against, you know, how to, how to, square the sort of theodicy you know the the all-powerful deity and the all-knowing deity with the the facts of evil and the, and, and all that one other thing i think uh we see with the humiliation and the, the the idea of ambition is something back in book nine uh where at first you know satan's a, a toad and i, I kind of like the toad look that he had going on but he, oh he, yeah you know, in four, but he's like the serpent. I'm gonna go with this, this. I'm gonna go with the new look. He finds it gross. You know, he sort of goes into this the serpent, and he, you know, he, he's like, "Is this like? Oh, this is horrible." He asks this question, like, "What will not ambition and revenge descend to?" You know, this sort of ironic, like, "I'm trying to my ambition's trying to carry me up, but it, I have to." But there's a very circuitous detour in low lying territory that I have to make. Who aspires must down as low as high he soared to base things and the sense that right we're and it's like, again we're like looking at humiliation and cringing gabriel criticized satan for cringing too you know exaggeratedly in heaven and here satan has to cringe and crawl in order to get higher through his through his plot for revenge yeah i don't know there's like there's the, the sort of theme of of humiliation and submission just keeps, keeps coming back and forth. And like, in this case, Satan's doing it to himself. He has to like get, you know, sort of like talk himself into in, into like this disgusting, humiliating position. Um, and then he's forced to inhabit it later.
0: Yeah, I wanna go back to your, your brief mention and tantalizing, may I add, mention <laughs> of who the real villain is here. And link it back with the idea of the horror of his punish of the punishment of the demons as they turn into snakes, yeah. um, right? Is there does that make God the villain here, or are we returning to the idea that hell is within yourself? And actually, this isn't so much a portrayed as a as a direct action by the divine, though it is, right? It's not really portrayed that way. Um, it's a thing that just kind of happens, right, in this scene that we've that we've just read. And I wonder about that if we're supposed to, if this is going back to the idea of, of evil as being self-actualized, right? You did this to yourself. This is yeah, just the yeah. wheel of justice are turning and sure God is behind that, um, but really responsibility. And again, getting back to the question of freedom, this would put, push back and say, no, you did this. You did yeah,
1: this. Yeah, right. You did this and, but it's all part of, but but I had it all under control of course, you know, this sort of like mind breaking, you know, head breaking uh, sort oh, of thing yeah. to do with and freedom. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, that it is, it, there's a part where like Satan's like, oh, like I have, we've been, we've been sentenced. Like there's been a, there's been a judgment passed. but like, it's not clear. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I think you're right. I think it is about like, we're actually, we did this to ourselves. And our status is about who we are inside. And this is just the externalization of what we've willed ourselves into. Like mm-hmm. the snakiness is just, okay, we're just turning you inside out. Uh,
0: and I think-, you I think, think your, right. snake
1: yeah. <laughs> your snake is showing. Yeah. Your
0: snake is <laughs> showing. Oh God, that came out wrong, but yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think that's right. Um, one of the things we, I think I, I sort of thought we could talk about was like, where does this, and I think this is something that you're interested too, is like, where does this leave us? Like, where is Satan, what, like, what do we think about the devil after reading this? Or like what, what sort of, wither the devil after after this kind of psychological and sort of philosophical meditation in, in, in Paradise Lost, like what, what does this set the devil up to be going forward?
0: I mean, much more interesting as I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just came from reading Dante right before this. And yeah. Dante's, Dante's, Satan is boring as hell. Um, yeah. Not to put too fine a point on it, It's like a
1: theme park animatronic thing. Like I think, yeah,
0: he's soulless, and he's um, To be to be fair, it seems that he's lost his soul as a yeah. result of what. So this is just. It's sort of as if we saw the scene that we just described here, where he's turned into a snake, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of, the 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 only glimpse you get of him really, um, in Inferno is is the snake which the equivalent of the snake, which is, you know, he's mashing, but he's gnashing between his knees teeth, the three greatest traitors that an Italian
1: <laughs> in right.
0: the 15th century could imagine. Right, 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 right. So, um, yeah, I find that the character in Milton so much more compelling and interesting. And I think as much as this is a, as a, this is a political, and literary work, it's also a theological one, It mm-hmm. opens up big questions, right? Because he doesn't feel, it's clear that Milton doesn't feel the bounds of orthodoxy as constraining him. He's hes free to to invent some things and create new conceptions of the devil. Perhaps yeah. just most interestingly that we get to sympathize with the devil. Yeah. yeah. In moments, his drive, his sense of being trapped within himself and how closely that mirrors um new understandings of the self and the human condition in the time he's writing yeah yeah i
1: think that's right and i think that that's kind of how i would start to sketch the story and it 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 almost seems a little bit too 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 much of an easy secularization sort of story but like i do think that you can look at this and be like okay like what we're seeing is an idea of an embodiment of evil that has a lot more to do with human beings, you know, that has that is recognizably human in many ways, and is not just a, an abstraction or not just a monster, but is someone who is is tragic, isn't an epic hero, but is a tragic hero that that tragedy elicits our sympathy at moments as we sort of have this kind of you know potential cathar. I don't know where the catharsis would be for Satan in in, in this. Um, maybe it's when you see him turned into a giant gross snake. Um, but, you know, I think it is part, you could look at it and see a trend towards locating, um, evil and, and negativity in, um, the sort of the internal mazes that people get stuck in, you know, with themselves within themselves. Um, and, and, and the sort of the, the the sort of dialectic of like forgiveness and submission and humiliation and you know, all these things. And, and, uh, I think yeah it really you know it's it's very humanizing and and you you see this in other parts too like a, in in like franciscan demonology or deobiology like this, the the fall you know the sort of the fall of satan like satan is way more human seeming than with other kinds of medieval figures like like thomas where satan seems like a like a super human computer or something who decided an instant after he was created, that he was going to do this. You know, like it's much more in in another. You know, in like Olivi, it's like it's much more human, and I think that you see that tradition being taken up here. But it does kind of, it could push towards a way of looking at evil and dysfunction as not just this other evil shadow in our lives, but like you know something you see behind the
0: mirror. I mean, what what characterizes Satan in Milton in these scenes we've talked about, at least. Um, is that he's striving for something as a result of a deep desire, right? And to me, that that movement, um, that that change, that <laughs> that anti journey that he makes, yeah, um, is what draws us into that that story, that narrative that feels like something we want to get behind, even if ultimately we d- we think his plan is, you know, nefarious and bad. At yeah. least the plan, man, like. Who can get behind Gabriel in this? Yeah, I, mean, I know. It's like
1: f that dude, right? You know,
0: like <laughs> good luck. Gabriel is like the goody two shoes in the schoolyard, taunting you. He's the worst. Yeah, and
1: that part is so weird when they're gonna fight and they're like, Gabriel's like, look at your sign, you know, like you have to like look up and like look at this like celestial like astrology signs or something, and it's like God's like, no, you're not gonna win. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, a strange uh, one of the one of the strange another strange part in this in this poem that I. Um, there are moments where people accuse it of sort of violating key um, conventions, and like when it when it shifts to allegory with sin and death in book two, this was a part where I'm just like, what is going on with that? You know, like why didn't they just have him fight and Gabriel kicks his ass? You know, like I, I
0: just, right. Right, that would have that would have tied things up. But there, sin and death are are they his children? Is that right? They his progeny? Yeah,
1: sin sin pops out of his head, and um, it seems like it happened. It seems like it happens before the rebellion. Sin oh, pops
0: like, like Athena? Or did, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're yeah. differing yeah. differing origin stories for Athena. I should probably not confuse them.
1: Yeah, but that's the one. That's the one I'm familiar with too. And yeah, it, it is obviously meant as a direct, you know, parallel to that. Um, uh, and and then and then they have and then they, they have an incestuous union oh great
0: i was so proud of that klaus and you're like obviously, obviously. <laughs> thanks a lot klaus you you said it first you know just following your lead um and
1: uh and then, then they have sex and then death is their son it's 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 really weird um right. like right why do we need that what is, <laughs> yeah i was like what have choice. Have <laughs> <laughs> um they're like this guy's a scumbag <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, um, well, I think that we should wrap things up for this yeah, time. Um, yeah. Thank you for this enlightening conversation. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, do it, let's do it again soon. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, perfect pod. This pod is produced by Infernal Productions and is made possible by support from the Satanic Horde, Asmodeus, Mammon, Leviathan, Beelzebub, and listeners like you. Thank you.